really want to welcome everyone. Thank you for your presence today. Just as already was mentioned by, by Kyle, we've had a couple of just really uh, wonderful uh, weeks in our retreat. And, uh, and then just last week, I so want to thank Carl Garrison for, for leading us in, uh, in the worship and all of those who, who um, gave testimonies uh, last week. It was wonderful, just uh, so enlivening. And, um, and it was interesting because one of the texts that Carl used in his, for his sermon last week, which was Luke chapter 5, verses 12 and 13, is also the beginning of our text for, for the Sunday. But he paired it with Habakkuk 3, 17, and, and brought out so many uh, things out of all of that. It was a, a genuinely wonderful time, and I just thank everyone who um, took part in and all of that. I hope that you uh, have one of the uh, sets of notes for, for today's uh, message. It has um, my translation on the, the front side of it and then the notes that I'm going to be following on, um, on the back. Uh, we're in the, as we're journeying with Luke through the story of Jesus, and then, it, then of course it goes on into the book of Acts and the story of the early church. We're in the early days of Jesus' ministry, Jesus' ministry in Galilee. And if you just think back just a little bit in the, to the fourth chapter, we're in the fifth chapter right now, you remember Jesus um, um, going to Nazareth, for example, and uh, there in Nazareth speaking there and getting this positive response, but it suddenly turns bad, if you remember, uh, when he starts talking about a Gentile widow, that uh, and a that Elijah interacted with, and a Gentile leper named Naaman that Elisha interacted with, and and you start seeing some of those very pointed themes of what Jesus is teaching. He talks about these people that are outside our. Community and it ended up, as you remember, quite badly because the people took him out and wanted to throw him off the, the ridge that uh, Nazareth is on. He went down to Capernaum and we talked about one uh, the, where he was there and and Luke describes how there was an unclean, usually translated demon. I translated it a being of power because it's not a really good word for what what's there, he, but an unclean being of power that he casts out. And then a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how he called Simon in the beginning of chapter 5. And Simon is the first of those who are called as Jesus' disciples. And, but he's a disciple who's a fisherman with no training to be a disciple to a rabbi or whatever one would call Jesus. And he declares himself to be a sinful man, and he, as, as it were, tries to cast Jesus out, depart from me, he says, because I'm a sinful man. Was Jesus put off by it? Of course, as you know the story, no, not at all. But that story, along with a few references earlier, does emphasize a theme that's going to be going on all the way through Luke and on into the, into the book of Acts, and that is, how does one deal with human sin? Simon, Peter, the one that, of course, we who've read the story already know is going to be one of the leaders of Jesus' disciples, is, 
Is he a sinful man? And how does one deal with that sin? What is this all about? And so today we come, as you saw through the Lumo video, to two amazing healings that uh, Luke narrates. The cleansing of a leper, as it's usually described, and the healing of a paralytic. The, the, the titles that are usually given to these, these texts. And it's good for us as we, as we read them, and I'm going to be reading from, uh, from my own translation as we go along here, to, to try our best to kind of notice things, to look closely, to read them uh, closely, and to, to hear them as though for the, for the first time. Uh, just to start small, let me, let me just call attention to, to, to a couple of very little things. In, in these narratives that you, that you can just simply slide over, and often they actually disappear in English translations. And that is how each of these two healings begins. They begin with a, with a very generalized setting. In Luke 5, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 12, Luke says at the beginning of the story of the, of, of, of the, the, the leper, he says, and it happened when Jesus was in one of the towns. Jesus is traveling around. Luke doesn't try to tell you which town it is. He doesn't set it up in a sequence. Look, a man full of an impure skin disease or leprosy uh, shows up. And Luke likes that way of introducing something, almost kind of with an exclamation that, that, um, that tells you what's happening. And then in verse 17, when we come to the healing of the paralytic, and it happened on one of those days. He doesn't say whether it was before or after what he's just told about. It's just on one of those days. These things are not put here because I know the exact or want you to know the exact chronology of things or how they flowed. They're here. I'm putting them side by side for their meaning. It's not a sequence of history. But it's leading us to understand Jesus. That's what this gospel is about. And that's what Luke says, I want you to, to understand as you go and th through all of this. And as if you study the, these, these texts, you'll find, of course, that Luke is, as we've said many times, has a copy of Mark in front of him. And he's using Mark with events that, that shaped controversies that Jesus was involved in controversies that clarify Jesus, clarify what's his, if I can say it this way, his profile, his, what's distinctive about it. And actually, as we, we start in with the, the, the healing of the paralytic, we find it's, it's a kind of series of five controversies with Pharisees. The Pharisees get mentioned especially in that, in that uh, healing story, but they get mentioned in the next four stories after that as well, and it leads up to the hardening of opposition uh, to Jesus. But it's not just controversies that are there. Luke wants to show how Jesus sees varied human problems. We know that we're all complicated people, and we have different parts of us that are interacting all the time. He wants us to see how varied human problems go together, how they fit together. Jesus, well, he casts out a demon, but when he speaks to the fever of Simon's mother-in-law he, and heals that disease, he does it in the same way that he casts out a demon. When he talks about Gentiles, they are the outsiders. It's like the leper that comes in to our story today. So also the demon who's unclean. 
or the paralyzed man who's with the focus on sin in his case that is the same as the focus on, not the same, but similar to the focus on sin in the relationship to Simon being called. All of them together, whether it's demons or Gentiles or lepers or paralyzed or sinful, all of them show human brokenness that Jesus dealing, is dealing with. That's what the gospel as a whole is about, along with the, the book of Acts. How God in Jesus brings all humanity together in a process of healing and of renewal that only God can initiate and only God can carry through. And so let's look first at the, the first of the stories that's in our text for today, the story of the, the leper, as, we, as it's usually called, the cleansing of the leper, chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. And remember, as we meet this person, remember that, uh, that Jesus talked about Naaman, the leper from, uh, from uh, Syria, that, uh, that Elisha healed. And then later on in the gospel in Luke 17, verses 11 through 19, we're going to meet another situation in which Jesus interacts with 10 lepers. One of them is a Samaritan. Naaman, who's an outsider, a Gentile. Here also another who's a Samaritan. There's this, well, just think about it. He doesn't explain it to us. He just wants us to see it and to think about it. So Luke 5, verses 12 through 14. Beautiful story, very uh, briefly told. It's just three verses here as we deal with it. And it happened when Jesus was in one of those towns. Look, a man full of an impure skin disease. That's how I'm translating lepra, the Greek word lepra. But when the man saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and he begged him. Lord, if you're willing, you're able to cleanse me. Notice that he doesn't ask Jesus to touch him. That would be too much. But Jesus knows what's at stake. And so Luke describes how when Jesus had stretched out his hand, he touched him, saying, I'm willing, be clean. And right then, the skin disease left him. And Jesus himself told him not to talk to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and make an offering about your cleansing, just as Moses commanded, referring to Leviticus 13 and 14 as a testimony that people recognize. Now, I don't know about you, certainly in my case, though, when I hear the word leprosy, I think of a horrific disease. Um, names come to mind. Mother Teresa ministering to the lepers in, in Kolkata, or Calcutta, as it used to be called. Or before that, fa the famous stories of Father Damien, who became a minister to a, to a whole community of lepers on the island of Molokai out in, in the Hawaiian Islands. And uh, he ministered to them for 11 years before he caught leprosy, finally. And he died of it about five or six years later. And I remember being so impressed reading with, um, 
with Philip Yancey and reading about Dr. Paul Brand and uh, then part of reading part of Dr. Brand's book about the gift of pain. He talking about ministering to lepers and the, the fact that leprosy, that what we know of as leprosy in our day, Hansen's disease, causes the, causes the destruction of the nerves in the body so that one cannot feel when one's suffering damage. And that's what gives him the, the title of his book, The Gift of Pain. To be able to feel pain is so important to keep from your whole body falling apart and so on. And so I, that's what comes to mind when I think of leprosy. But here we're dealing eh, really with something else. This is the leprosy law of Leviticus 13 and 14. And it's not originally the Greek word lepra from which we, through a long process, have gotten our word in English leprosy. But it is uh, the Hebrew word sara'at. And um, you have to read Leviticus 13 and 14 to get a sense of what Sarah But it's important because here as Jesus heals this man, he tells him to go and make an offering just as Moses commanded. Now, if you want an adventure in, in interpretation and, and reading and, and cultural distance, I urge you to go and read Leviticus 13 and, and 14. Uh, it's, a, it's a set of instructions in the midst of a whole series of sets of instructions about impurity, ritual impurity. All kinds of bodily emissions that cause ritual impurity, touching a dead body, menstrual bleeding, and so forth. These are, but, but there's a problem when you get and start reading uh, in Leviticus 13 and 14. Almost all modern studies of these chapters say that they are not talking about the disease that we call leprosy. They're not talking about the, the stuff, this horrific disease that Mother Teresa and Father Damien and Dr. Uh, Dr. Brand were, were dealing with. This is something else. And it, you just read through it and see what you, you think, how you make your own judgment about it. It's some form it's not dealt with as a disease analysis. It's dealt with, though, as some form of scaliness on the skin or something like that, flaking. Usually when you read these things very much, you find out that it's, it, it's, we're given analogies of eczema and psoriasis and uh, dermatitis and some other kinds of things. And as you go through, you find that it's described also as something that can come about after a, after a burn, for example, which... You don't get leprosy from a burn. Or from if you have a boil and it doesn't heal just right. And most remarkably, as you're going along, you find out that leprosy, sara'at, is also found in clothes. And it's the same sort of impurity. And it's found in the walls of houses and in stones and so forth. So we, there's so much there that lets us know that we're not talking about the same sort of thing that comes to my mind anyway when I th hear the word leprosy. What rather is the case here is that this is a problem, a real problem, but it is a visible sign of ritual uncleanness, of ritual impurity, like touching the dead, like bodily emissions and so forth that are part of the whole context. 
But whereas those sorts of things, touching the dead and so forth, that's for a moment and, that, that, and it's quickly over. But these marks stay. So when in our translations, uh, these purity regulations are called leprosy, we modern readers can easily be thrown off about what this is. This was not really about a really scary disease. This was about purity. This is about uncleanness. But because it's a kind of impurity and uncleanness that doesn't necessarily go away, it certainly can go away, unlike most forms of leprosy, um, it had devastating effects on a person's life. I included there at the bottom of the front side of your sheet, if you have the, have the notes, the passage in one just a little bit, tiny bit of Leviticus, perhaps the clearest part of Leviticus 13 and 14. 13, 45, and 46 that talks about the effects of this disease. Those who have, and sara'at, uh, it's translated into, into Greek, in the Greek translation as lepra, and that's how the connection is made. People who have an impure skin disease must wear clothes that are torn. And this is not some tear on the inner lining. This is torn up clothes that they have to wear that's visible from a distance. And their hair must be disheveled. They must cover their upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. They stay unclean as long as they have the disease. They must live alone, dwelling outside the people's settlement. These are people who are not really sick. They're not even contagious, really. But they are unclean. They are excluded from human contact, cut off from their families and communities, and especially from the religious community. This is almost the archetypal purity boundary in a person. And uh, it, it is what Jesus wants to deal with and does so straightforwardly here. Here in this man that comes to Jesus is an embodiment of uncleanness. Remember that unclean being of power, that demon that Jesus had cast out in the synagogue in Capernaum. Jesus, this man knows that Jesus is in the city. And even though he, of course, knows that he is not supposed to go into the city, that he's supposed to stay outside the city, he comes right in. He comes right up to Jesus. He knows that he has no rights as society defined those rights. He is the other. He is the outsider. And yet he falls on his face and he pleads. This is what Jesus often in the gospel, in fact, later in our text, in a similar situation, calls faith. Crossing a restricted boundary, breaking a barrier in order to get to Jesus. It's not that he has a great understanding of Jesus, but he knows that Jesus, <sighs> this is somehow the very presence of God. And he wants Jesus to have an impact on his life, whatever that may be. Jesus says that these purity boundaries that divide and alienate people are now 
over. And the way that he does it is by intentionally breaking the law. This man is impure. The, the way that impurity works always is that if you touch somebody that's impure like that, you're impure. It flows from the impure to the clean and pollutes the clean. But Jesus touches the man and the impurity doesn't flow to Jesus. But cleanness, purity, wholeness flows from Jesus to the unclean man. The man is cleansed. Nobody could have expected that. Everybody knows how this works. <laughs> I mean, that's the rules of how it works. But this man broke into the city while, I take it, still wearing all of his torn clothes and disheveled hair and makes his way to Jesus. And Jesus, one might not expect it, but Jesus breaks the law and reaches out. And Luke wants us to see it. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I'm willing. Be clean. Now, we can look on all of these things about this skin disease. I've had eczema really bad in at times. I've taught classes up there on the fourth floor with bandages all over my hands because they were cracked and broken and bleeding and or whatever it was. I wasn't, I'm not sure I ever really knew the right diagnosis of it. But I wasn't sick. I just had this thing on me that I had to deal with. And so we can kind of smile as we think, or not so much smile, but we can shake our heads maybe as we read Leviticus 13 and 14 and, and see what the effects of this kind of purity law, and we can understand why Jesus breaks the law. We don't have the same ways of defining those boundaries, but we do have others, of course, as you're very well aware. One that immediately comes to mind when I start thinking a lot about this is famous line from W.E.B. Du Bois from 1903 about the color line in society. The problem of the 20th century, he wrote, is the problem of the color line. This is 1903. The question of how far differences of race will here and hereafter be made the basis of denying to over half the world the right of sharing to their utmost ability, the opportunities and privileges of modern civilization. That's that line. And here we are in the 21st century, and one could quote it again in our own time. I remember when I was younger, it was seemed to be, my dad was a minister, and so these things I sort of from a distance and as a kid heard about a pregnant a girl who got pregnant out of wedlock she would just disappear for a period of time off somewhere nobody knew because there was a, a purity boundary that she couldn't be there hidden away considered permanently outside or I have dealt with this earlier many years earlier in my own 
family that, that is my parents' family of a divorced person gets separated from the church and cannot function in the church anymore, separated from their community of faith. Or a person who grows up with same-sex attraction and discovers that they are gay. They often have been treated with this very same thing and all the variations of that in the LGBTQ uh, community. Or a person who's homeless or struggles with issues of personality that make them different from others. Sometimes a person who just disagrees with us about church organization or worship practice. When Jesus healed this man, what you have to imagine as you're following the story is not the cheering that we sort of hear at the end of the, the next story, but dead silence. Nobody, nobody cheered when Jesus touches this leper. Are we now going to be unclean if we touch Jesus? You don't get to break these boundaries, but Jesus does. Jesus knows that the assumptions are deep, and he says to the man, don't talk to anybody. Go, offer the sacrifice. Don't say anything. Just let the priest certify you that you're clean. That's what people will trust. Free your life. Get your life back. That's the gift that Jesus gives to the man. He gives him his life back. Notice how Luke describes this. This is an amazing event, an amazing event that might not have been so amazing if we'd been there. We might have been withdrawing from Jesus ourselves because we would have lived in that world of assumptions that all these other people. But Jesus knows what he's doing and he keeps focused on it. And the way that he keeps focused is, as Luke says, that he knows that there's a lot of people who want things from him and they're swirling around him. And he knows that controversy is brewing. And so he intentionally spends time with God in prayer. Luke 5, 15 and 16. But the word about Jesus was spreading more and more, and many crowds would come together to listen and to be healed from their diseases. But Jesus himself would repeatedly go off to wilderness places and would pray. And so we come to the next story, the healing of the paralytic. And this one is one of those controversies because it puts together things here, cleansing, renewing human life in this paralyzed man. And here that the narrative intentionally and directly wants to bring together the unity of human brokenness and Jesus' power, Jesus' authority to heal. And so first, as Luke takes us into this, he describes it very clearly as a teaching situation. There are Pharisees there. There are law experts there that are sitting there listening to Jesus. But Luke also emphasizes that God's power was with Jesus to heal. And so he wants us to, to see those things side by side. Listen, if you would, Luke 5, 17 through 19. And it happened on one of those days. Jesus was teaching while there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there. 
They'd arrived from every village of Galilee and the Jewish regions, even Jerusalem. And the Lord's power was focused on him healing disease. And look, same way that he introduces the story of the, the, uh, of the, 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 uh, the so-called leper. And look, men carrying on a bed a person who'd been disabled. And they started looking for a way to carry him in and lay him where Jesus would see him. And when they couldn't find any sort of way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and through its clay tiles, they lowered him with his cot into the midst of everyone right in front of Jesus. Now, I... I you know me. I mean, I get bothered by the way that things get translated. This word paralyzed, it, 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 you know, the thing that comes again to my mind, and this is just me, you know, is somebody sort, sort of like the picture in Lumo, who cannot function at all here. But the word is commonly used, and it, it means weakened, disabled. Clearly from the story, the man can't walk. So he has to be carried if he's going to be transported. But that does not mean that he's totally paralyzed, that he can't move at all, that he can't talk. He's disabled from full function in life, but it does not necessarily mean that he's inert there. He may have been quite vocal and engaged. He may have recruited the people that are carrying him, and he may be guiding his helpers, insisting we've got to get through to Jesus, even though his own legs won't work. Also, it's interesting that Luke calls his helpers men, using the regular Greek word for the male of the species, aner. But he calls the one who's on the cot anthropos, which means a human being, a person. That's the word that I use to translate it. It's a distinctly generic word, as if Luke wants us to think of this one in as broad and inclusive a way as we can imagine. And later on, as we'll see, when Jesus addresses him, Jesus also calls him anthropos. Now that's hard to translate because we don't use human as a way of addressing people unless it's in a sci-fi movie or something like that. Um, so I've, like a lot of other translators, have, have opted uh, on the sheet that you have there for friend, just for the sake of the English. But what Jesus says is human. This person, in a way, combines the physical and spiritual challenge of all of us human beings. This human is suffering from a real brokenness of body. He can't walk so as to work or care for himself and his family. That's the part you can see. It's like the leper, where you can see the discolorations of his skin. But he's also a human like, like Peter, a, a sinful person. There's also that deeper human brokenness and sin. But, but there's also something wild and special here, too. Something that Jesus especially notices. Like the leper who barges into the city that he's not supposed to end, enter in order to get to Jesus, this man and his helpers will stop at nothing to get to Jesus. They can't break through the crowd. It's hard to carry a man on a, 
on a cot through a crowd, absolutely jammed crowd. So he insists, or they insist, they climb up to the top of the, of the, of the house and they start digging through the roof. Now, just, just put yourself there and let that play out over a period of time. Jesus is talking to Pharisees and, and doctors of the law and it's perhaps a very serious discussion, maybe even a lecture, we might say, as he would, might interact with them and so forth. And suddenly the ceiling above Jesus starts to fall apart, and they dig through a hole big enough for a man on a cot to be let down through. <sighs> now that's really going to leak when it rains, I tell you. Uh, this is going to be a problem. I don't know why Jesus doesn't stop right at the beginning of all the noise and commotion right above him and say, would somebody please go up to the roof and stop whoever's making that racket up there so that I can talk? I'm, I'm lecturing here. But he doesn't. They take the tiles off. They make the big hole. They let the man down. They refused to be blocked by all the places claimed by people who came early to listen to Jesus. They push right in. It's important to them. Listen to the story. I'm going to start with verse 19 and read to verse 25. And when they couldn't find any sort of way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and through its clay tiles, they lowered him with his cot into the midst of everyone right in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw how faithful they were or the faith that they had, he said, anthropos, human, friend, your sins have been Forgiven, They have been let go. They have been released for you. Now the scribes and the Pharisees began to raise questions, saying, who is this that's speaking such blasphemies? Who is it that's able to forgive sins except God alone? When Jesus recognized their questions, in response he said to them, what are you getting at by raising these questions in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? How would you answer? Well, they're, well, they're, ah, they're totally different things. No, they're not. Neither one of them can happen except by the power of God working in Jesus, which is easier. Now, Luke doesn't take us and say, you get this? Do you understand? He thinks you're smart and that you're going to think about it and realize this unity of healing. When Jesus recognized their question and response, he said to them, what are you getting at by raising these questions in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven for you or to say rise and walk? But Jesus knows, of course, that it's the external that impresses people. But so that you may know, and here he draws directly on Daniel 7 about the son of the human receiving all authority in the earth and so forth. 
that you may know that the son of the anthropos, the human, who is both God and identified with this human here, that the son of the human possesses an authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the disabled man, I tell you, rise, pick up your cot and go to your house. And immediately the man <laughs> rose up in front of them, picked up what he was lying on and left for his house as he gave glory to God. Jesus sees faith in those people breaking roof boundaries, if we can call them that. And when he sees that faith as they're breaking that boundary of the roof to get to Jesus, Jesus breaks right back like he reached out and touched the man with leprosy. Through the physical disability that the man is experiencing. That's really important and he's going to heal it. To the human brokenness of sin and he goes there first like with Peter. But it turns out that it's also the teachers sitting there and watching and listening to Jesus' teaching who are really disabled. They cannot see how God heals the whole person, and so they call it all blasphemy. Jesus doesn't back away in the least from the challenge of their questions. Can you, as a teacher, as a leader in religion, you who are sitting there listening to me, can you see what God is doing? Can you recognize God's work when God pushes in new directions? Jesus calls on that picture from Daniel of the son of the human who receives authority over everything from God. And so Jesus, son of the human, lives out God's authority to renew humans. Jesus raises this human to new life, to walk in freedom, whole, released, at home. Notice Jesus doesn't try to recruit him. He might have been a really good recruit. This is the gospel in anticipation. Jesus will take on our suffering our sin, and will give life. And so the final words of the pa our passage, Luke 5, 25 and 26. A little bit of overlap. And immediately the man rose up in front of them, picked up what he was lying on, and left for his house as he gave glory to God. And an ecstasy, the Greek word here is ecstasy, an ecstasy of wonder took hold of everyone. And all began glorifying God. And they felt a fearful awe, fear, filling them up. As they exclaimed, we have seen incredible things today. This kind of ecstasy breaks out, perhaps even among some of those Pharisees there. But it's also scary. God, the God of the universe, doesn't just engage the mighty rulers. He engages ordinary, broken, bold humans like us.
incredible thing happen. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that we may learn to hear Jesus, to see him, to see what he does, to see what it's about, to see the astonishing nature of the gift that he brings to us. And that we may learn bold faith that will not allow anything to stand between us and Jesus. Help us, Heavenly Father, that we may think, that we may meditate, that we may change, that we may be re willing to be rebuilt, to get our lives back as we come to Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.